Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we'll learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today I'm heading across the Atlantic to meet my guest, Antonio Berton of Alileo Wines, a company he created with his wife, Alexandra Drain, to bring in wines uh, made in Western Sicily by his family to bring them into the United States. Good morning, Antonio. Thanks so much for being my guest today. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Uh, I'm great, and thank you for having me on the show. Super excited. Well, I've been very interested to follow the Alileo story, and I'm sure our listeners will be interested too. Antonio, you've got an extensive background and an impressive track record in marketing and brand management, but in fields that are nothing to do with wine. What made you, you and Alexandra, decide to enter into the world of wine? Tell us, tell us the story behind Ali Leo. Now, the story is a quite, it's quite a personal one. You know, during COVID, as we were all locked away, you know, obviously in that early wave, Italy was hit quite hard. You know, I think a lot of people who were separated from their families, wherever in the world they were, you know, had a, a, a probably a, a, an exaggerated pull to do something and to reconnect. And during that same time, my mom became terminally ill I'm sorry um, to hear that. with cancer. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, life goes like we all we all get there at some point and some better than others. So my mom and I were the last ones basically still in this country. She would live six months in the States and six months back in Sicily. And Al, my wife and my kids, we would all spend, you know, time in the kitchen talking about whatever, to just kind of alleviate the mood. We'd play old Italian songs from her generation. And, you know, we always talked about the connection to Sicily won't stop when she passes. And, you know, in the background for years, we've always talked with my cousin, who's an incredible winemaker in Sicily, that maybe one day we'll create our own brand and, and build, you know, the family business, quote unquote. So that's kind of what we did, you know, in the kitchen, during COVID, we kind of created a brand out of thin air, which was fun for, I think, all of us to participate in and started working the phones and, and, and pulling together kind of the process that one goes through to, to create a new consumer product or consumer brand. But this time it was selfishly for ourselves. And yeah, I mean, and wine and my family, you know, goes back quite a bit, not just on my mom's side, but my dad, who came from a Molise but immigrated to the States in the 50s, the only vacation he would take uh, was in October 
with he and his brothers would buy the grapes that would come up from California and they would make a year's worth of homemade wine for them to drink. I mean, you know, I come from a very blue collar working class background. So somehow or another, at some point, wine was going to become part of the family business, I guess. Well, that's really interesting, Antonio. I guess um, what you're telling us is that wine was a way to really connect and to stay connected to your family roots, to where you came from, to where your parents came from. And in a way, it was that connection with, with Italy that you could establish actually as a business. Yeah. I mean, for us, like, you know, in the United States, we're quite fortunate. You know, you can really take on a challenge and try to make something of it. Where in certain parts of the world, it, I'll just speak to Sicily. Sicily, Sicily, it's still a challenge, right? Like, it is hard. Like, that, that entrepreneurial infrastructure is a bit more challenging in places like Sicily. We wanted to find something that could create not only a bridge back to Sicily, but some upward mobility, some financial security. I mean, who knows? This thing could all implode and it's a, just a nightmare. But like right now, we're, we're, we're steadfast and, and trying to build something for the long okay, term. So that American entrepreneurship is then really tied in with the traditional, the roots, the vines that have been in the family in Western Sicily for, for I'm assuming, Antonio, for generations? Yeah, I mean, the, right now, we're, our family vines, let's, let's say it that way, are not involved in the actual wine production today. That's a much more complicated story. Nothing bad, just complicated. We work with a grower, and all of our wines currently come from a single estate in Marsala, where my cousin tends to that estate's minor production. We've come in and actually taken the bulk of the production and are making the wines the way we feel will fit our profile. Ultimately, one day, maybe this can be a unifier to to work with the other plots of land. But like I said, we come from very modest backgrounds, you know, a vineyard, you know, it's funny when you say, you know, a lot of the family has some vineyards. Everyone thinks like, you know, these grand estates and, and you no, know, it's just plots of land that grow grapes and olives, you know. So it, it's great to try to like, you know, open the door and show people, you know, a more, I would say more common view on you know, agricultural life in, in Sicily. Yeah, Italy. and especially in Western Sicily, I'm imagining uh, the, the vineyards not far from the sea, the Grillo grapes that probably in the past would have been sold or made into the base wines for Marsala rather than transformed into table wines. Very, very, very spot on. So tell us a bit about then the viticulture then. Um, Part of Alileo is that you want to make wines that are as natural and as pure expressions of the land as possible. And so you're working in a sustainable way. Tell us about the, the estate and the wines your cousin is making for you. So the estate has been in operation since the mid-1800s. Um, it's literally a few steps away from where the salt flats of Marsala, that you know, the same ones that basically produce sea salt of Marsala and Trapani. So we're going back thousands of years there. The Phoenicians um, gathered salt from those same exactly. salt pans. It's pretty cool. Like you still go there, and there's still you know salt mines that that harvest salt in a traditional manner, not with using machines and whatnot. So. I tend to import, import meaning like I stuff my kid's suitcase in my suitcase with lots of salt every time we go home to visit because I think it's our salt's the best. But um, 
the wines we wanted to make, I know the words or the phrasing is controversial, whether you want to call it natural wines or low intervention wines, but the farm's organic in practice and in, and in production. Um, we try to use nothing except for traditional winemaking. We, we add no clarifiers. We don't filter the wines. We don't correct them in, in any you know aggressive manner. We want them to speak as truthfully as possible because we do believe that that style of wine, I hope, is going to be appealing to the next generation of wine drinkers. I mean, we spend so much time obsessing about our health, so we should also be mindful of the things that we drink as well to enjoy. And the less chemicals, the less manipulation, I feel like people will have an enjoyable time with a, you know, a lesser impact on one's body. That was the, the, the original and still is kind of our guiding principle and how we make our products. The other key piece was st- sustainability. And we really wanted to take on the challenge, especially in the United States. I think in Europe, you're a little bit more evolved in the format of like bag and box. It does not have the negative uh, connotations that it does here, or at least maybe it doesn't run as deep. But here it is a challenge when you show up with the three liter bib. But for us, there's no better package format that would function for the types of wines that we want to sell. First of all, it's like half the carbon footprint and from an emissions standpoint in terms of like what you would have to do to make the same glass bottle equivalent. The wine stay fresh for over 30 days once you open the box. So you're not throwing wine away if you didn't get through the bottle or what have you. It creates a great conversation piece when you bring it out. And, you know, for us, no matter how creative we think we are, everybody can design a beautiful label and try to tell the most compelling story. But sometimes you got to really go against the grain just to get noticed. And that's why we really really want to lean in and celebrate the alternative packagings that are out there. Okay, so the the project from the beginning was to to really connect to your Sicilian roots in a way that was as authentic as possible. I guess making wine in the so-called natural way is in many ways making wine as wine was always made before chemistry got involved and and technology and you know you really you're using the the native yeasts that are on the grapes rather than putting in a cultured yeast is that right and with no filtration as well you know you you're really i i'm imagining minimal sulfites yes i mean like our so2 profile on all the wines doesn't get above a 55 so well below the permitted levels yeah i mean like i mean this is all an experiment right but we feel like it's providing a great experience for those who are tasting the wines right and we can talk about like how they're made and really showcase that you know before chemistry i think that's the nicest way to put it i I will steal that from you i mean before chemistry this was kind of how it was created and as we all search for better or less manipulated food to also eat, why not pair that with the same in wine? Sure, sure. In terms of uh, farming sustainably, uh, that has its challenges too. I'm just thinking that this year, Western Sicily uh, really suffered massively from uh, you know the phenomenal record heats. Uh, I think it was, was it 48 degrees it, it reached centigrade? I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's, uh, it's very hot. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't have the last count of how many consecutively 40 plus days there were this year. 
but most of Sicily is still dry farm. You know what I mean? Like nobody can really irrigate or manage their livestock with any kind of like serious infrastructure. What it caused was once again, the harvest being anticipated. I think we started harvesting early July. Early year, July, wow. Rather than That's kind of amazing. like, well, for some of the whites, for sure. It just It's just been brutal. I mean, my cousin's been on harvest basically since the beginning of July and they're just, they wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know. I don't know where this leads. I mean, everyone's always like, well, there's, there's cycles, but clearly the cycle is going in the opposite direction. You know, the earth is getting hotter and staying hotter longer. I, I think the whatever the evolution, we're going to see that over a longer period of time. I don't think it's going to be like in five years, we have a completely different growing season, but it is concerning. Yeah, it's concerning. I think it's concerning for everybody involved in wine. I mean, it has its upsides here in England, where I am, uh, where we're finding that uh, England is and, and Wales have become countries able to produce exciting quality wines. But that's a different story. Antonia, the bag and box. I'm I'm interested in exploring that a little a little bit further. It it is interesting that you you're seeing that as appealing more to uh, the next generation of wine drinkers. I think a lot of us um, still, in, and certainly in Italy, wine doesn't even come with a screw cap. It comes sealed by a cork and you open it with a corkscrew. So it's a different way of uh, interacting with wine. How has that been received by your customer base in, in the United States? Well, like I said, when you go to traditional retailers and you make your pitch, you watch the wrinkle in their face right? But you got to just stay firm, right? And pour them a glass of wine. And then the second they taste the juice, they're like, oh my God. And then you're like, see? And I'll be like, and it'll taste like that in 30 days. You know, you can keep pouring one little glass of wine a day and you're not throwing, you know, this hard work that goes into making these wines. And plus the efficiency of transport, the reduction in energy, you know, I mean, think how much energy it takes to make glass bottles. And then you're shipping those glass bottles empty to wherever you're going to get them. Then you're going to fill them. Then you're going to ship them again to wherever their destination is going to be. I mean, if one had to do a full life cycle assessment or calculation, which they have, it is an incredibly energy intensive industry that people are writing about constantly. Even this past weekend, Chances Robinson and the FT was talking about the next strategy of making glass bottles thinner. That's right. And even that small de- uh, reduction in weight is supposed to make a massive difference. So, But, but um, how much technology yeah. and engineering needs to go into thinking about making the glass bottles thinner rather than just behaving like Norway, where pretty much the majority of, let's say, your daily drinkers, I mean, I believe prestigious wines, premium wines need to age in glass, right? There's a time-tested formula that works. But for your daily drinking, you know, easy sipping consumables, you really need to look to alternative packaging, not just, you know, bag and box, but cans have come a long way. You know, we remember when no one would drink beer out of a can, it could only be drank out of a bottle. And now if you look at the shelf, most of the the best beers are in a can because it preserves freshness. This year, um, Decanter World Wine Awards finally created a category for alternative packaged wines. And uh, luckily we favored incredibly well. We were one of the only four that got to silver with our Syrah. And then our other wines achieved bronze out of 40 wineries that submitted. I I think that's exciting for new consumers. It gives them a reason to make 
this chapter in wine theirs rather than them adopting maybe their parents' chapter in wine? Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I, I think now that we're seeing quality wines coming and it's a decision based on both sustainability, but you know, and I think in the early days, bag and box wines were often being sold on price point because it was a cheaper way to to package a wine. People still challenge us on price, right? Like at retail in the United States, our three liter bib, which is four bottles of wine, is anywhere between $35 and $39 at retail. That's less than $10 a bottle of wine. Wow, that's incredible. But we still get pushback. And then, you know, if you have a conversation about the environment and people worrying about the growing season, and then I'm like, but you're not helping by adopting packaging that has a lower lower carbon footprint on the planet. I go, you're giving me stick because my really well-made Sicilian wine is not at the $29 for 33 liter for three liter price point that you're accustomed to, which is very undrinkable for, for the people that we're going after. So there's a culture, not tug of war, but it is kind of a tug of war. It's like you can't talk out of one side and worry about the environment and the climate and then stiff arm the people who are trying to do something a little different, you know, to lessen their impact on the planet. We're either all in this or we're not. Sure. No, I understand that. Antonio, talk us briefly through your range. You're selling four wines, is that right? Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at pointwine.net. We sell, we sell four still and three sparkling, which are still in bottle. The stills, the, the red is a Syrah. The rosato is also made from 100% Syrah. Our white is a Grillo because we're in Sicily. And then our little darling, that skin contact wine, is a Zibibo Macerato. And the Zibibo, which is really fun, has been getting a lot of, you know, a lot of love here for whatever reason, the I don't know, the palettes are changing, but we've been winning a lot of hearts and minds over with the Zabibo. I think people that went into that orange wine kind of wormhole started learning about skin contact and really enjoying it. But sometimes skin contact gets a little too skin contact. And I think ours has just the right amount where it's really entertaining and exciting on the mouth, but drinks really easily. And you could basically have a few glasses of it rather than, you know, kind of one or two uh, on some of the really orangey ones. Oh, that sounds really fascinating. Of course, Zabibo is best known for the Pasito di Pantelleria wines, these rich uh, dessert wines made from grapes that have actually dried in the direct sunshine of Pantelleria, this little tiny island. So to make a an, an orange wine, a skin contact dry wine from Zabibo is fascinating. Does it have the floral aromatics of Zabibo? Oh my God, it's like perfume when you open it and people are going to automatically assume it's going to drink sweet. But my cousin, he, I mean, he's incredible. And what's ironic, you know, during his early winemaking years, he was marooned on Pantelleria making pasito. And uh, I mean, it sounds glamorous, but in the winter, that's a horrible place to be. He loved, that's his favorite. Well, like outside of the Metodo Classico, the Zabibo is his favorite. And when you 
basically put your nose inside a glass. The perfumes are gorgeous. I mean, it has that muscety nose, but when it drinks, it drinks beautifully dry and crisp and it literally falls down your throat. I think from the United States perspective, not a lot of people have heard of the Zibibo. I think for anyone who's just trying to learn about wine, they get excited hearing about the history of the grape. But yeah, it, it has an incredibly floral nose and, and drinks beautifully. One of the top restaurants in Boston, you know, I must, I'm, I'm quite proud of this, you know, who are very, very um, strict in terms of what they put on their by the glass menu. But our Zibibo in a box, I have to keep pointing that out, in a box is on their by the glass menu. What restaurant is that? It's all the fishes. It's a new Garrett Harker restaurant. He's a restaurateur here in Boston, famous for places like Island Creek Oyster Bar, Eastern Standard, all that. And the fishes uh, opened up a few weeks ago and our Zibibo Macerato is on the menu. That's great. Uh, I'll make a note of that. I come to... Uh to the Boston area from time to time. My sister lives in Cambridge. Oh, right on. Well, please let me know. Antonio, this is a good lead-in to discuss food and wine because, you know, Italian wines as a whole, I think, are almost universally made to be enjoyed with food. I'm thinking as well about the foods of Western Sicily. It's an area I travel to regularly. I'm going to Marsala next month, in fact, and I'm thinking of Dishes like the couscous di pesce or those wonderful red prawns from Mazzara del Vallo. I guess these wines that you, your cousin is making are wines that would pair beautifully with the traditional cuisine of West, of West Sicily. But you're in, you're in the United States. So. Well, thankfully I get there often. I'll be there, I'll be there on the 30th. I mean, pasta golisarde, pasta with sardines is like, literally the family dish, especially with like the young fennel, sardines, and, you know, a little scrape of botarga on the top. But yeah, I mean, our whites beautifully pair with uh, the dishes of Western Sicily, even, you know, things as savory as like caponata, you know, made for for snacking and stuff. So yeah, I mean, you, you are what you eat, you know, these are the foods that we grew up with. These are the foods that, I mean, it's funny, like, most of my childhood was spent in Partana, which is like 45 minutes from Marsala. And you can see the difference, just 45 minutes in a, in, a, in a dish. You know, my cousin's from Marsala. So like couscous and the more kind of Arabic style or Arabic influenced foods are what he was used to versus we were pretty veg based. Fish was kind of, you know, even if we were just 10 minutes inland from the sea, a lot of our food was, you know, vegetable-based, legumes, tinerume, things like that. So it's funny. But yeah, our wines are definitely designed for a hefty seafood palate. Now, what about the Syrah then? Uh, people may think Syrah is not typical of Sicily, but of course it's been cultivated there. Well, I, I, I guess Diego Planeta was one of the pioneers of planting Syrah in your area around Memphis anyway, but Syrah has deep roots in, in Western Sicily and produces some absolutely stunning red wines. What uh, do you think your Syrah pairs well with? Salumi. You know, we just ran a pop-up for the last five months outside here in Boston. We had a little like vintage wine truck and we were lucky to work with a great deli that would provide these kind of pre-made Salumi boxes for us. I tell you, any kind of smoked meat 
but also like with olives and fruit. The Syrah is so full-bodied and it's not oaked. You know, it's still stainless steel, but yet it's just got such a luscious mouthfeel. Everyone always says how juicy it tastes. And they always ask, like, why is this Syrah in Sicily? Why aren't you using Nero d'Avola or Nero Moscalese? But like, you know, there's, there's a, a time in Sicily where they pour out all of the kind of native grapes and started planting grapes that were more recognizable. And I still get feedback today. They're like, Americans don't like Syrah. And you're like, well, I mean, I think that's a very, that's an inside wine person's perspective. But I think that most of the people are always just learning and want to learn more. I don't think they, they're going to come in there with a prejudgment, you know? It's always tough when the experts are making decisions for the masses, you know? It's like the opposite of inclusive. But no, I mean... I, listen, if you're in Western Sicily in the next couple of weeks, I'm happy to have my cousin take you around and, and give you a taste of everything because, uh, you know, we are quite proud of the wines we make. Well, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm there on uh, one of the tours that I that I lead. So I'll actually be in Marsala, but I will certainly find an opportunity to do that on another occasion. Let's talk a little bit about the foods of then of New England. I'm thinking of Maine lobster and those fried clams from Woodman's up the road and Ipswich. Yeah, yeah. I would love to uh, perhaps try some Maine lobster with that grillo. Yeah, so great call. So like there is an incredible uh, clam shack called the Clam Box in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And it's literally shaped like a clam box. So for people who don't understand what that is, like uh, French fries sometimes come in a paper, you know, a square paper container up, up by us you get fried clams and it's two styles, either whole belly with the, with the belly or strips where the bellies are removed and they're fried up in strips. This, this little clam box sells a lot of our grillo and a lot of our Syrah because, you know, as, as typical clam shacks or people who don't want fried seafood generally get a burger or a hot dog. And they've been just this incredible outpost for us because people who know good food as clearly you do seek it out so yeah the grillo pair is excellent with fried seafood well i'm going to remember that one as well antonio the clam box in ipswich yeah it's about probably 15 minutes from woodman's i love woodman's but they don't pour our wines yet woodman's is amazing especially for lobster you can't really beat it yeah, well, it's been too long since I've been there, so I'll have to come visit my sister. Antonio, you shared a really wonderful story of how you've connected cultures and families through wine and, you know, a project that came about in a difficult time, you know, sort of dark days of COVID, when we we're all thinking about what we we're going to do, what we wanted to do in life. So I think it's a beautiful story. I love the idea of producing wines purely naturally and packaging them in a sustainable way. I've already shared the link to Alileo with some of my wine drinking friends in various states in the U.S., and I hope they'll become customers of our, our, yours. Thank you for sharing your story. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I wish you all the best. Mark, thank you so much. You know, this has been so amazing, and thank you for your understanding of all the times and the hurdles, but hope, hopefully we get to meet in real life one day. Yes, I hope so, Antonia. In the meantime, I'll look forward to sampling your wines as soon as I can. All the best. All the best. Ciao. Ciao. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.